Welcome to Haven, the podcast where we explore the vast landscape of loss. There's no going over or around grief. We're going to take it piece by piece and navigate these tough topics the only way we know how, by going through it. This podcast discusses miscarriage, pregnancy, infant, and child loss, so please listen with care. Silent mystery. I'm Jen Burgard, your host, and following my own personal tragedy founded Haven, Landscape of Loss. We are telling stories of loss and sharing our perspectives about surviving grief. Kindness, self-compassion, boundaries, these are all nice words, but what do they look like in practice? especially for a grieving heart. There is a simple first step towards this, and our guest today is going to share it with you. So get out your pen and listen now with Mel Dahl. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited because I don't always get to have folks in the studio with me, but today I'm so lucky to have Mel joining us right across from me. Hi, Mel. How are you today? Morning, Jen. Good. Good to see you. Yeah. Well, I've been so excited for this conversation, and maybe because it speaks so much to my own soul and my own experience and something that I'm presently and always working on. Tell us a little bit more about you. First of all, I'm just really excited to be here with you this morning, Jen. Luckily, you were able to walk me through the parts of the podcast before we started, so we got to get comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really excited to share about self-compassion. And you were asking me before, how do you want to go about this topic? And Mm -hmm. us just talking about really bringing the idea of self-compassion to our conversation in the ways that it helps women. Mm -hmm. And I had thought about, well, how has it helped me in my life? And when I first started understanding self-compassion or studying it, I was in graduate school and I had decided that I wanted to learn more about it, that I deeply needed it. Mm. And I heard the idea of being kind to yourself And I thought, I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever been really kind to myself. I've had this inner critic, this inner dialogue in my life, like, get this done, do this now, be better, do more, kind of this inner, I call it like an inner soldier. Mm, And mm -hmm. I have been doing that all my life. And so when I heard this idea of self-compassion, I thought that makes a lot of sense. Right. And so I went on to pursue some training out east and then in Canada and decided to bring it back to the Fargo-Moorhead community and just really found that I fell in love with this topic of self-compassion, but that I deeply needed it in my heart and my mind. And self-compassion... It sounds so great, right? Like, oh, yeah, I do want to love myself. I want to be kind to myself, right? But like, okay. (laughs) Right, like, what is it? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can put it on a t-shirt, but like. (laughs) I'm so (laughs) self-compassionate. But what is it? Yes, it's basically treating yourself like you would treat someone else. So it's treating yourself like a good friend. So let's say you come to me this morning and you say, it was a tough morning getting my kids out to school, getting everything going, and me saying to you, I know. Those Mm -hmm. mornings are tough. Mm -hmm. Like it's hard to get things going start of the summer, right? Right. And we offer each other that kind of validation, that connection. It's stopping in that moment and actually offering it to yourself. 
stopping mm. and saying that to yourself. Mm-hmm. This is tough because many of those moments throughout our day, we don't validate our own experience. We're frustrated and we're looking around for someone else to say to us, that's hard. A lot of times it's not possible. So it's stopping and saying to ourselves, first of all, I'm going to validate for myself, this is really tough. And something being tough doesn't have to be huge. Mm -hmm. For me, it can simply be, I need to go water the plants, but I also need to make dinner. I also need to get the kids' laundry ready. It's a lot of things. It's not just one thing. So self-compassion is talking to ourselves kindly the same way we would talk to a good friend. The research behind it is that it helps us calm our nervous system because we really need that emotional nurturance. We really need to be kind to ourselves like that. Interesting. And and I guess I can draw from my own experience. Well, all of us, right, can only really draw from our own experience when we're talking about self-compassion. But I think that makes a lot of sense. And maybe a lot of us have gone through that where it's, you know, whether it's getting through school and then getting getting a job, getting a house, there's these steps and you just need to do them. And we look around and we see other people doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, well, are they, they look like they're doing it so much better than I am. So I must be doing this wrong and not as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think slowly that conversation with yourself, or at least for me is almost a like catching up. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. doing enough. Like I'm, I feel good when I check something off of a list, but I'm like, wow, that does feel good. But like everyone else has bigger lists, you yes, know, exactly better lists. And my little list of watering the plants is mm-hmm. not cutting it. And exactly. So you're validating your own experience mm-hmm. in that. But mostly like your own experience of frustration, mm-hmm. your own experience of loss, mm-hmm. your own experience of hurt, mm-hmm. your own experience of emotional pain. So it works with comparison, like you're talking about what is someone else doing and then drawing that back in and not not allowing. It's not kind to ourselves to compare ourselves to other people because that hurts us, Mm -hmm. right? We don't know what their lives are like outside of social media. Mm -hmm. And we don't really know unless we look closely at our lives, what our lives are like. But it also works to say, in this moment, I'm hurting, Or in this moment, I'm frustrated. Or in this moment, I'm really mad. I'm really angry about that. And that's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, letting that live, right? Letting Letting that that live. Yeah, for sure. Rather than saying, I should be happier or I should do this to fix this. 100%. That absolutely makes sense. Yes, because the mind likes that. The Mm -hmm. mind likes that confirmation, meaning you now have made your experience real because you feel that, your body feels it. But what happens is we override it. We just go on to the next thing. But if you actually live in that experience and you say that, especially if it's an, a quote-unquote negative emotion, mm-hmm. sadness, anger, grief, hurt, we try to override that. But if in that moment you live in it, I love that word that you said, that's exactly right. If you live in it and say, I feel really angry and that's okay. All people feel anger in their lives. Your brain starts to say, no, nothing's actually really wrong with you. You're just human. Like it's okay to feel that way. And maybe it even makes sense that you would. And then all of a sudden you're 
self-compassionate. Like you have started to embody kindness. You're not putting yourself on this path of perfection, Mm. but instead you're like living this experience of being real. Because that's not perfection. Right. Not feeling any of those things is not perfection. Correct. What would that be? Right. Like autopilot, right? right? Avoidance. Yeah. Yeah, we get to feel that stuff. It's just that sometimes even if we put it out there, maybe it's not received, right? True, true. Or people are busy. So the self-validation, it is and holds hands with self-compassion. We're validating our experience. We're claiming it to be true for ourselves and we're offering it comfort. And that's like beautiful. And I love what you said about treating yourself like you would a friend too. Mm -hmm. Because if a friend was angry or upset, you're not going to go to that friend. Well, let's hope so, right? Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hope you're a good friend. Yes. (laughs) Let's hope that you aren't going to your friend and saying, you're going to need to get over that and cheer up. 100%. Yes. You're going to go and you're going to validate them and say, yeah, I understand that is upsetting. Mm -hmm. My gosh. Mm -hmm. And whether you try to offer some condolence or, you know, way to help them, whatever that looks like. But A, number one, you validate it. Yes. Yes. You do not dismiss it. That's such a great practice and, and probably really difficult to do for yourself. Yes. (laughs) Is that why they call it a practice? Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's why they're practicing it. And I had a a lady once in a training, she raised her hand and she's like, "Uh, we found out in our group that if I talk to my friends, like I talk to myself, I would have no friends. And we all laugh. (laughs) We're like, exactly. Right. Because we say things like get over it to ourselves. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Get over it. We're really harsh on ourselves. And the research supports that and shows that, which is really where the work of self-compassion came from and bringing this material forward was that that's so hard on us. It's really hard to have to do hard things in this life and be hard on ourselves in addition to it. It doesn't really help us move forward. Probably not. I mean, it makes us miserable, right? I mean, kind of a miserable existence Mm -hmm. if you think about it. When you say it that way, you know, there there are bad things that happen. If you are continually putting yourself down, like how are you ever going to be quote unquote happy? Right. And what does that look like for you? Yeah. And it's so subconscious Mm -hmm. because when we are little, like zero to five, we're developing that self-talk. I did it. Good job. You know, and the people around us, you did a great job. You know, we're developing that. And then we go into school systems and we're quiet all the way. You know, everyone's (laughs) quiet in the classroom. And then we have this internal dialogue. Maybe we don't get that A anymore. You know, maybe we don't get that star. And that's where that internal dialogue just develops. And that's normal, like normal development. But now we know as adults, we can develop that skill of being really kind in our internal dialogue, which is kind of the skill of self-compassion. It's really, really being our best companion. 97% of people are more compassionate to other people than they are to themselves. So that's most of us walking around. That's me being much kinder to you, Jen, right, (laughs) than I am to myself, meaning that every day I have to intentionally work on being kind to myself and just know that that it's a work in progress, right? So I'm going to say, I'm going to call you my pro, right? The pro of self-compassion. But like you said, it's something that you're working on Mm -hmm. and it's a continued 
work in progress, right? Right. So it's a skill that you're building. Mm-hmm. Where are you at in this building of skill? Do I'm you, in the you 97%. Say? Still. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because our brains have a default to negativity bias. Mm. That's been researched. So if we have any kind of trauma, which most of us have some kind of trauma, if we have a bad moment in our day, our brains default to negativity for survival. We're always looking, I don't want that. We're always looking for, I don't want that to happen again. So our brain immediately defaults to a negative state. So not only are we trying to like flip that, we also have to offer our brains comfort and validation that it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the mindfulness. That's the practice of mindful self-compassion. So mindfulness, becoming aware, self-compassion, offering ourselves kindness. So they go hand in hand. They do. For sure. I could see that. Yeah. Because you're going to have to be able to take a minute, take a pause mm-hmm. and stop the thoughts, right? Which exactly. sounds like a lot. Yes. I will offer a personal experience actually. And this made a big difference for me because once upon a time, not that long ago, maybe a year or two ago, a counselor had said to me, you need to really consider the way that you're speaking to yourself mm-hmm. and how that affects your outlook and how that affects what you're doing. And I was like, what? You know, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, I'm the only one going to tell myself to get stuff done. You know, (laughs) I need to be the the boot camp instructor over here, Mm -hmm. right? Right. No one else is going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. But I was in a really tough spot professionally and personally. And I would find that when I was driving in my car, I would think, all about all the stuff I had rattling around in my head and all these heavy things that I had going on. And I would just, I would almost start to cry and say, I can't do it. I cannot do this. This is too much. I can't do it. It's too much. And I would keep saying that and keep saying that and keep saying that. But then I was kind of living in a way that I can't do it. Right. right? So I was mm-hmm. barely surviving, keeping everything together. And then I took that advice and I said, okay, wait a minute, like what if I started telling myself, yes, you can. So every time you start going down that spiral going, I can't do this, I can't do this, I'm exhausted, this is too much. Yes, you can, you've been doing it actually. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can. And so I started doing that to myself, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And it took a long time, but I will tell you my default now when I start to get overwhelmed with all the things, my brain wants to go to, I can't do this, but I turn it and say, yes, you can. Yes. Yes, you can. And it has made the biggest difference in just my internal dialogue from my drive from home to work, right? Amazing. (laughs) Which sounds so little, but it's a big thing for me. that's huge. Great job. And so I think uh, we all have a lot of work to do, right? Mm -hmm. I I live in 97% as well. (laughs) And we can own that. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. But a little switch, right? Mm -hmm. A little change. And I think Mm -hmm. maybe that's something that you help someone understand is like, what's a good first step? Yes. For this. So what what would you say? What is a good first step, do you think? Well, that's a beautiful example you gave because you created internal validation. There was a word you used in there, which was what? You created the switch, which for you mm. was what? Mm-hmm. Which was just that. Yes, the, I can. Yes, I can. Yeah. It just switched for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. Mm-hmm. And I've had a gal say before, I got you to herself. Mm, I got that's you. That's a good one. I've yeah. got your back. I got you right? Like you created that internal switch. And you also said, I have been doing it, Mm -hmm. which you have, Jen. Mm -hmm. 
which is just like gives me the chills. It's beautiful. You already put in motion what was there, but your brain understood it. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. And that is the way to, that is a, such a strong way to get through those really deep moments of pain and hurt is because we all have them. Mm-hmm. We fall. And then if you can find the light in that moment and you have that switch, but it's you having that, I got you, I've got you in that moment, that's a starting point. I mean, that's a huge starting point, right? But if you pull it back a little bit, even just becoming aware of the dialogue, which is your counselor helped bring that to you at first. You're like, nope, you're not going to tell me how to talk to myself, right? I'm good, which is normal. We all do. And when I went to the training, a part of me was that I'm, I'm going to use this with my clients. Mm-hmm. But no, that was for me. I needed that. That was something my heart and mind deeply needed. And then understanding that I needed to be my own friend and then pulling back and then recognizing my dialogue. And then once you hear that dialogue, where is kind of your support entry point? And you just, that was a beautiful example. I can, and Mm -hmm. I have, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep going. And just really, you just supported yourself. Self-compassion is self-validation. You're validating that you can do it. I love that too, because for you as a practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're probably looking at it like, okay, I'm going to teach this to my clients, but Mm -hmm. then- I really can't unless yeah. I'm doing it. And then you can really speak emphatically about how yeah. much of a difference it can make. Yes. It's embodying what we're practicing. And then also just recognizing that along the way, you're going to have more moments and experiences in your life that deepen that practice. I have so many moments where I think I know something. And then a year later, I never knew what I thought I knew. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, actually I didn't. But then I, I renew it or re-know it in mm. a different way. And that part is beautiful to me, that we're always relearning how to know ourselves in a different way. And the path of self-compassion, it's not in a harsh way. It's like, okay, I reflected and I saw myself in that light. Okay, how might I do that differently? How might I see that I showed up and how do I want to address that next time? How might I appreciate what was in front of me, but also how might I respond differently? How might I see this with compassion, but also have boundaries and grow? Does that make sense? That's a lot. And yes. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like that softness towards yourself that helps you grow. Mm -hmm. When my 20s, I was fiery. And if anyone came at me, I just give that back. Sometimes I still have that in me. The difference now is I'll soften to that and be like, why, why, Mel, I call myself Mel, you know, why was I like that? What was happening in me that, that came out soften towards that? Try to explore it more. Right. right? Rather than saying, I can't believe you acted that way. Right. And responded that way in this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we're all unfolding those parts of ourselves. I think a common misconception too might be that once you're an adult, you're an adult, and this is this is who you are, and right. this is who I am. You better accept it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're watching a <laughs> if you're watching a reality show on Netflix, mm-hmm. <laughs> those people all have their lives figured out, right? Right. <laughs> they mm-hmm. are who they are. They're not changing, right? And yeah, and that can be on an opposing edge. I don't know if I believe any of them <laughs> when they mm-hmm. say that, right? But I think there's a couple of things that you said that I want to unpack. But yeah, that yeah. that's one of them is that 
you can allow yourself to constantly grow and change, you know, whatever part of life you're in, whether mm-hmm. you're in your 20s or you're in your 40s or your 60s, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, you yeah. could do it, you know? Mm-hmm. If you just, I think that's such a good way to start looking at that mm-hmm. and not necessarily changing yourself, but what would you call that? Uh, I think uh, it like is growing into yourself. Yeah. Right into a great version of yourself, a self mm-hmm. that you love. Mm-hmm. Like, what if you loved yourself? Like, just imagine, like, if mm-hmm. you just loved yourself, and not mm-hmm. in, in like a crazy narcissistic way, right? <laughs> but in a way that it, you just so appreciated everything about you, your body, and your brain, mm-hmm. and your heart, and your soul, you know, yes. and you just appreciated its flaws and appreciated its yeah. perceived flaws, right? Not necessarily flaws, but, yes. And just accepted that and moved forward in love with that. I just yes. think you there, could give so much love back to the world. That's the word is acceptance. You used it. Yeah. Self-compassion lends itself to self-acceptance. Mm. And self-acceptance doesn't mean that we don't hold boundaries with ourselves or others. And that's a common misconception. I love it. Use that word. Sometimes people will say, well, if I'm self-compassionate, will everything just fall apart? Well, I just let everything go. Everything's going to be okay. Mm. Meaning like, there's no limits. And and that's not true. I say, I ask people like, well, would you ever let a child have six candy bars because they want it? Well, no, right? Because that's not good for them, mm-hmm. but they can have one. And so it's the same thing with us. We have self-compassion because we know our boundaries. And the boundaries are that we don't give ourselves everything that we want because it's not good for us. Mm-hmm. But we discern, we start to really discern between what is and what isn't because we're so connected with that internal dialogue. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I mean, so they really have to, they really have to work together. I mean, Mm -hmm. the boundary, we can use boundaries in a lot of different instances, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that takes some work, right? To refine that. Over time. Over time. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Always a practice, right? Always a practice. But how it comes in first to bring it back smaller is just that paying attention to our dialogue. Mm -hmm. How am I talking to myself? Mm -hmm. And then, like you said, slowing it down and then finding a way to just stop that spiral, slow it down. I had a friend recently tell me, be nicer to my best friend. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. It's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. What Mm -hmm. am I doing? So get yourself a friend like that, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to stick up for you to you. (laughs) Because we do. We need our own personal cheerleaders, right? I mean, And we need that to be ourselves first, if we can. So I love that. I mean, self-compassion is, that's a big topic. How do you think we can tie this into grief and loss? Mm -hmm. So I think when we talk about grief and loss related to self-compassion, there is a certain amount of self-blame that exists. And that typically exists within the lost community to a certain extent. And whether it's something that lost parents say out loud or they've thought about or have asked on an online forum, you know, like, hey, I was 24 weeks and I tripped and I fell. And then 10 weeks later, I lost my child, you know, to still, do you think that I did this? So I'll come across that quite often and those questions and wondering if you did something wrong. Even in my own experience, I've thought, well, I should have done this. I should have done this. I mean, a list of should haves, right? Right. Next time I'm going to be better. I'm going to 
And I think we dig ourselves into a hole in our grief journey, right? Right. Of self-blame, of questioning. Mm -hmm. And I think that I don't know what it would have taken to pull a person or myself out of that, but I think self-compassion would have been a probably pretty good start. I think so. I think the learned skill of self-compassion could be helpful in that in that moment to practice or to know it it's a painful experience because self-blame is so big Mm -hmm. because the brain defaults to that negative thinking and so it stays there and it likes to stay there until we pull it out right and so how self-compassion works is really by identifying that feeling so it would be saying this is self-blame identifying it straight as it is, almost pulling it to logical. Wow, yeah. This is self-blame. And then bringing it to a second step and saying, all women blame themselves. And that's also logical. Mm -hmm. And then the last part is saying, this is really hard on me to blame myself for this. And that really language of self-compassion is really like a skill that could be used in those moments. I feel like that is a write it down situation. Yes. And that's and that's a really big thing we do in the trainings and the workshops. Yeah. Is that self-compassion is those three parts. Yeah. So you just la- label it for what it is. Right. This I- is self-blame. All women blame themselves. It's really hard for me to blame myself for this. It's really hard for me to blame myself for things that are out of my control because the brain tries to make sense of things that are out of control. And what we're talking about are things that are are out of control. Absolutely. And so the brain doesn't like that. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear me say things like that, the brain or the body, Mm -hmm. because that's mindfulness too. It helps us detach from such strong emotional Mm self-blame. So to say like the brain thinks this, and that's okay that the brain does that, but we can't always believe everything the brain thinks because the brain has a job too. And the brain's job is to try to keep us from having another painful experience. That's part of what the emotional brain does. It says, that hurts. I don't want to go through that again. Mm -hmm. And so then it kicks in. But then we have to also train our mind to know that that brain just does that too. My gosh, yes. And do you know what? This so much reminds me of, from a different lens, the brain, Mm -hmm. when you talk about that, protecting itself Mm -hmm. and protecting you. So when you talk to someone and they're like, oh my gosh, Joe Johnson died of lung cancer Mm -hmm. and he got it really quick and it happened really fast and it was so sad. And then the next question out of someone who's not necessary, not that they're not compassionate, but the next question in your mind did they smoke? Mm-hmm. Because your brain is trying to come up with the reason that why poor Joe That's a perfect example. died of cancer, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, how am I not? Did they smoke? Oh, yeah. good. They smoked good. I, I don't smoke. Yes. So I'm not going to die of lung cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so your brain is like- The I, brain is wanting to figure out the reason. Yeah. And if I can find a reason, then I might be okay. Yeah. Oh, what a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Brain's kind of, a, I'm not going to say it, kind of a jerk. <laughs> the brain has a job. Yeah. And the more we recognize that the brain has a job, we'll say, thank you, brain, for doing some of what you do. Yeah. But there's this other part that we have to really work with it. Otherwise, it can hurt us. It can hurt our emotions. Mm-hmm. So we'll call it the emotional brain. The emotional brain can really create a lot of self-blame. And so we have to really name it 
and work with it in those moments. And we're not taking away that someone feels bad. Right. That's a whole other piece of it. We're actually validating it. We're saying, yes, you are hurting. No doubt are you having this experience. We also want to notice that self-blame is not a way to work with that. It's not the most helpful way to work with that emotional experience. Mm -hmm. That's the other piece of it too. Because you're never going to get out of it. Mm -mm. Like your example earlier, you can't. Yeah, you're never going to get out of it if you Mm -mm. don't process it, call it what it is. Right. And put it where it belongs. Yes. Right? Yes. That's mental gymnastics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) You're doing hard work here, people. Okay. (laughs) Get your notebooks out. (laughs) And so when people wonder, they'll come to me and say like, I have this journal that you gave me. Yeah. (laughs) What do I do with it? (laughs) Like Mental gymnastics. Mental gymnastics. (laughs) You know, that's it. Self-compassion is a great place to start and start naming those feelings mm-hmm. like i that i think that's so great mm-hmm. if you can put that into practice because i do believe that every lost parent goes through that mm-hmm. goes through some layer of i should have known i should have i should have yes. oh, all the shoulds right yes and so if you can start to identify those and find a place for them mm-hmm. you know and find a way out of it and to a more healthy yes Outlook and a release. Yes. I mean, I think that makes so much sense. Yes, because the nervous system likes if we name it or feel it. So if we name it, self-blame, or if we feel it in our body. So for example, we carry a lot of self-blame in our shoulders, in our chest, in our tummy. So if we can just sit with our body for a minute and and just feel that, we're going to feel heavy. We're going to feel that. The nervous system, the emotional brain will connect with the nervous system and will start to relax. That will start to feel better. And then let's say we journal. This is self-blame. All women blame themselves, and they do. It's been researched. Mm -hmm. All women blame themselves. It hurts me when I blame myself, and it doesn't help. Mm -hmm. Now we're moving forward. Now we're releasing that. And you know what? In two days... You might do it again. Mm. And then you do that practice again because it is a practice. And self-compassion is a skill that can be taught and continue to be practiced. And that's kind of the beauty behind it. It's a life skill. It is a life skill. I love Mm -hmm. that. And I think it can be applied in so many other scenarios too. You and I were talking about how at heart we're both kind of introverts, right? Yes. And which is, we didn't know how this would go. No, right. We would both be really quiet. (laughs) (laughs) You go first. No, you. So I think we've all, they've done a lot of more education about introverted folks and extroverted and and where the strengths and weaknesses lie. If you work at a big company, maybe you've done a survey and they've given you this whole print off of all of this stuff. But the one thing I took away from it that really identifies me is that I recharge alone. Mm-hmm. And I need, 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 need alone time each day to be able to recharge, clear my thoughts. I should be journaling clearly, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm not going to say should because I'm eliminating that from my vocabulary. Something I'm working on. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I could be journaling. Could be. You know, that would be a good practice. But I think also I need time. I have living children and I need time away from those living children who I adore. And sometimes I feel guilty. I feel guilty because I have these two living children. I miss my son that died. 
and I should be so grateful and I should, I'm using should, right? Maybe mm. this is a telltale sign and I should be so grateful for them and wanting to spend every ounce of every piece of energy I have with them because I'm so lucky to have them. So what would you say to to me or to a person who who feels that? Because kids, kids are hard. Like we started off this episode, kids are there a lot. And I know I need things, but it's hard sometimes because I feel guilty when I need something. Yeah. My heart is getting soft for the, the term living children. Mm. Yeah. And hearing you say that. And so I wanted to just sit with that. Yeah. It's really beautiful. That That practice, self-compassion, what we just did, those three parts, how would that break down in this situation? What would be the emotion? Guilt. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Guilt. Mm -hmm. Guilt. So I feel guilty. Mm -hmm. All moms feel guilty. And then what's that third part? Yeah. <laughs> I need help with this. See, yes. <laughs> this is a practice. This yes. is why you need a teacher. <laughs> yes. It's hard for me to feel guilty. Mm, yeah. With this part with self-compassion is an and, okay? An and is duality. So it's honoring both. You can grieve and have this continuous feeling of loss and enjoy your children as you are able to. So having yourself have freedom and space to be a mom and enjoy your children as you are able to, Jen, that's the piece, as you are able to. As you are able to. Which is human. Loss does not equal that you have to be an exceptional mom. Does this make sense? Absolutely. That you don't have to be or provide above and beyond exceptional care. Mm. The and is that you provide as you are able, as any other parent would, as they are able. That's really self-compassion. Does that fit? Absolutely. So I mean, that's the duality. Sure. Yeah. Is that we don't have to have this other standard. You are able to be free from that guilt, even though you experience this tremendous loss. That loss is true. However, that loss doesn't have to be part of the narrative of being a mom in guilt currently. I so appreciate the word standard. Okay. I so appreciate the word standard because (laughs) you hold yourself to a different standard, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I would say even if you're a mom who is pregnant after loss, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to do it better this time. I'm holding myself to a standard. I will not exercise. I will not drink coffee. I will not have soda. I will not, you know, right. All the things Mm -hmm. that new age, right. Parents, we can't do any of this right when we're pregnant. Yeah. The rigidity. Yes. The rigidity. And like, yeah, that has nothing to do with why you had a loss. Correct. But yes, you're holding yourself to this standard to protect in your thoughts, right. Protect this child, protect Mm -hmm. this baby acting like it was your fault when it wasn't. Exactly. And I feel that guilt comes from the same place, Jen. Mm. So guilt comes from that same place. So we have this standard, which is an illusion. And that standard is set on, I need or should care for my living children the way that others are placing on me Mm -hmm. or I'm placing on myself Yes, because of this. That guilt is an inner standard and self-compassion is inviting you to release that. I can care for them the best that I can as I am able to. 
And when I work with women in practice who have, I would more go along the direction of postpartum depression. Mm, Yes. And they have a period where they're not able to attach to baby. Yeah. And then they get on medication. They start feeling better. We spend a couple months doing shoulds. I should have smiled at my baby. I should have engaged more. I should have played with them. And we do, we hold that duality. Mm. You were doing what you could as you were able. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you don't love your child. That doesn't mean you weren't a mom. That doesn't mean that you didn't care. So holding that duality for self-compassion is huge. Mm. Does I think that make so. Sense? I mean, and it, it makes sense to me personally, okay. frankly, because I think it can be really difficult when for a mom who has a child to after a loss, I think there's always there's always an aspect of depression when you're talking about child loss, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's pretty difficult to avoid. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about pregnancy after loss and then you have that baby and you can potentially be like, oh yeah, I feel so connected and this feels exactly like it was supposed to, but not necessarily, right? Like Exactly. I think you can be protecting yourself you can be scared Mm -hmm. and who are you going to admit that to right Mm -hmm. who are you going to admit that oh I don't feel connected I don't feel like like comparing another child even right Mm -hmm. I feel not the same why like what's wrong with me Mm -hmm. and that's okay that word you just used that's okay you're full of nuggets of (laughs) self-compassion language today that's okay that's the number that's one of the number one phrases and that's okay And once we make that okay, and being okay means that we are validating that there's something here that I need to talk about, Mm, and that's okay. Because when we don't make it okay, then it doesn't work. There's something off to us, whatever that experience is. So when we're making it okay, then we're opening up space for that reality, for that lived experience, so we can enter it, we can be in that. And then we're looking at attachment and we're looking at maternal and histories and generations of other stuff coming in. And yes, it's allowing it to be okay, that it doesn't feel okay. Yeah. And is that Mm -hmm. something that someone can work on? Yes, absolutely. Yes, we can absolutely work on our attachment. Wow. That's so interesting. And I think for anyone listening too, I mean... Mm -hmm. You can feel that way. And it does it go, can it be any amount of time or is it typically you see within a month, a year that you start to f- see those connections in, in the brain kind of realign or? It's a complex question and we could do a whole, <laughs> we could do a whole session podcast on attachment mm. alone, which would be beautiful. Maybe and, we will. Yes. <laughs> but when we're looking at activating attachment, maternal attachment after loss or postpartum depression or just maternal depression. We're looking at activating the mammalian caregiving system, which is what self-compassion is. So we're activating gentle language to ourselves, soothing touch, gentle voice, it's okay, I'm going to be all right, the I got you's, all of that. And then I'm a big supporter of medication Mm -hmm. as needed because we're rebalancing hormonal levels and neurological. And I might get onto another topic here, but to reconnect the attachment system takes intentional work. And that's there connecting with a good therapist. And it takes intentional work from mom 
to want to do that. And that can be really scary. And sometimes the first step is, I want to feel more connected. And I don't know why I don't, but I want to. Mm -hmm. To which I say, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's all right. That's okay. Let's start there. And that self-compassion. I love that. Leading with self-compassion. Yes, absolutely. whatever you're working on in your life, right? Mm -hmm. You can lead with self-compassion. Yes, and we should. That's the one should I would say. (laughs) We should. We should because we can't step left or right in my experience with any other way. Mm -hmm. In my clinical practice, I have tried many different approaches and I don't get anywhere Mm. if I don't use self-compassion with myself or modeling it for clients. Mm -hmm. It just, I don't really see any progress any other way. It just, there's a lot that I'm met with, right? Right. You're never going to be able to overcome, mm -hmm. right? That brain, right? Right. That's trying to, right, outsmart. (laughs) Yes. If I'm afraid to feel this, or if I'm afraid to know what this is, this meaning something I don't like, I can't heal. Yeah. And we have to be able to say, I don't like this, but I'm willing to find out what this is. Mm-hmm. And then and say, oh, that's okay. All right. Let's 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 start with that. It's a that's, good place to start. That's a great place to start. And I think yeah. everyone, go, go get a journal. Yeah. <laughs> Write those yes. three things down and, and start applying those. I mean, I'm going to. So, Me too. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? I yes. mean, I think this is great. And Again, I love that it can be applied in so many places. And clearly, you and I have a ton more stuff we can talk about, and I think we probably will. So with that today, I just want to give you the opportunity to let folks know how they can find you on socials or whatnot. You can reach us at Mindful Healing and Consulting. You can find us online or on our Facebook page, and we're on Instagram as well. And I want to mention, I know we will definitely be sharing this episode. So as you folks listen, you are working on a mindfulness self-compassion workshop. Yes, this fall, we'll be collaborating with Jen Mm -hmm. at Haven Midwest, Mm -hmm. and we'll be hosting a fall workshop, and everyone will get a journal. Yeah, (laughs) everyone will get a journal. (laughs) So we can really dive into some of these things. I think that's amazing. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. I am so grateful that you came on the show, and we finally got this to work out, and in person. Thank you, Jen. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Haven's Landscape of Loss. If you found it helpful to hear this story and are going through a loss journey of your own or supporting someone else who is, consider subscribing on wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you found this episode helpful and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with loved ones, post about it on social media, and leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Finally, to learn more and get even more resources about the loss journey, or to send a healing gift, please visit havenmidwest.org. And while you're there, consider donating. This podcast is made possible by our partners at Tellwell, listeners like you, and folks willing to share their stories so we can all heal together. You are-